How's it going today, guys? Once again, back here in the studio, Hot Takes with TP3. Today is June 19th, 2018. Uh, Thursday's NBA draft, today's Tuesday. So, I mean, we're basically two days out now. I mean, I'm getting pretty nervous, man. I keep seeing everything saying the Hawks are going to draft Jaron Jackson Jr., Mo Bamba. Y'all know how I feel about that after yesterday's podcast. I just wrote an article about it, too. So, be on the lookout for that coming out as well. But let's get down to it today, guys. I'm going to go through my mock draft. I just posted it on Twitter not too long ago. So, go look at that, too. Follow me at Hot Takes with TP3, but let's get down to it. So, number one, I have the Phoenix Suns taking Luka Doncic. I just feel like the way the NBA is played now, center's not as valuable. Obviously, everyone thinks that Aiton's the best fit there because he's because he played at Arizona, and Phoenix is located in Arizona. They think it's the best way to do it. I personally don't think it is. I if you look at these teams who dominate, look at Harden and Chris Paul paired together as guards. Look at KD, Clay, and Steph. Look at LeBron and Kyrie. I mean, all the best teams have these pairs of guards or forwards who play out on the wings and dominate teams and I just think that Doncic and Booker together is just too much of a guard matchup for teams to handle I mean they're both big fit bigger physical guards who got good handles they can shoot the three-point ball Doncic is more the passer Booker's more just the straight go-to score I mean honestly that's kind of like a little LeBron and Kyrie matchup obviously I'm not saying Doncic is anywhere close to as good as LeBron but I'm just saying like you got your passer and shot creator right there then you got your go get an iso bucket or go get your bucket whenever you need it with Booker so I personally think it's the best matchup. I think Phoenix would be stupid not to do it. You also throw Josh Jackson in there as your wing. That gives you an extremely athletic young wing defender who honestly keeps getting better and better if he gets a three-point shot. Josh Jackson could be really scary. I think if Phoenix makes this move, they'll be a lot closer to winning, and I think they could realistically, if they wanted to, tank it out one more time. I think they could squeeze out one more little tank sesh real quick. So. I'm definitely a big fan of that move, but let's look at number two here with the Kings. Kings need lots of things, but they have an old veteran big man in Zach Randolph who's very crafty and could teach lots of things to a young big man like DeAndre Ayton. I've also seen the Kings are in love with Marvin Bagley and his versatility, which is another thing that I love too is Marvin Bagley's versatility, but we'll say they take DeAndre Ayton here. That's what I think is going to happen. I just feel like Ayton has a lot of hype around him. I think he's the guy, the guy who can average 18 and 12 in this league. I don't know if he'll be a superstar or not, but I think he'll definitely make some all-star teams. So I think the Kings should just take Aiton. He's their most safest bet. I mean, obviously, there's still a couple question marks with Bagley. I feel really strongly about him being really good, but I can't ignore the fact that there are certain question marks with him with his defense. I mean, a lot of people don't believe in his shooting. I know Bagley can shoot the ball. I've had lots of people tell me he can't shoot, so I can't wait till he proves all y'all wrong with that. But at three, that's who I have the Hawks taking is Marvin Bagley. I mean, yeah, there's some question marks with him, but we watched everything he did at Duke. This guy can dominate. He can run the floor. He's fast, athletic. I went into great detail on him yesterday, so I won't, I'll save y'all. But basically, I've got Bagley going number three here. I think it's a huge mistake to take Jaron Jackson Jr. and Bamba here. I mean, it's just, I feel like the same thing with Chris Paul. You're not taking the guy who you know can be an all-star. Instead, you're risking it all on some risky player. And I mean, I just don't like risking it all on these, if they're there or not players that's more of a if you're picking four or five or six thing and that's why at four I have the Grizzlies risking it on Jaron Jackson Jr. here I think the Grizzlies are another team who need lots of things. I think they need to try to get rid of Mark Gasol. I think that he's too old and it's time to get rid of him, but I think he still has some things he can teach a young guy like Jaron Jackson Jr. So I look for him to do that for Memphis. Really the only 
The one player who's absolutely secure and position that's secure on this roster is point guard position for them with Mike Conley Jr. I mean, like I said, I think that Trey Young and Colin Sexton are the next two best players in this draft, but I just don't see Memphis drafting another point guard when they paid all that money to Mike Conley. It just wouldn't make any sense at number five. I have the Mavericks taking Muhammad Bamba, center from Texas. I mean, I just think that Bamba fits in where Dallas, they need they need lots of things too. I could also see them possibly taking Michael Porter Jr., but I'm going to go Bamba here. I think they like his upside potential, and they're going to hope they can tap some of it along with their young stud and Dennis Smith Jr., so just try to bring some young talent in there around them. Also, Harrison Barnes, I mean, we've been waiting on him to make that jump for years when he was so highly thought of at North Carolina and coming out of high school. So, I mean, this that could be an interesting dynamic there those three guys um Number six, I mean, the Magic got rid of Alfred Payton. They got rid of Victor Oladipo. This team really has no guards, and they've had terrible guard play the last couple of seasons. I look for them to go for Trey Young here and go younger. I think Trey Young can do lots of things for ball movement, get lots of assists for their team. I think that they need to stop being stupid like they do and don't play their rookies enough minutes. Like, when do we ever see Jonathan Isaac get in games? Jonathan Isaac's one of their best players, and they never even give him any chance to. How are you going to let a player develop if you don't give him any chance in games? So I think they need to not be stupid here, and they need to let Trey Young play lots of minutes. It might take him two to three years, but I mean, that's fine. The Magic are nowhere close to winning, so you can wait two or three years for Trey Young to develop and be a good player. No problems there for the Magic at all. So so let's move on here to the number seven pick. There's lots of things the Bulls could do here. They could really shake the draft up. I mean, there's lots of moves they can make. I've just seen in so many places the Bulls are in love with Wendell Carter Jr., and I like Wendell Carter a lot too. I think that he can post up real well. I think he's going to be a good back-to-the-basket center. They already have Zach Levine and Chris Dunn, guys who they're kind of waiting on to develop more. So I look for the Bulls to get Wendell Carter and try to get them that big man because they're really lacking down there. I mean, they have Bobby Portis, so he could pair up well with Portis down there. So I look for the Bulls to go get themselves them some help at center with Wendell Carter. At number eight, I mean, what did the Cavs struggle with all season? It was defense. That's why I don't think that Trey Young, one, will be there, or two, they should take him if he is there. I think they should go with the young bull, Colin Sexton. I mean, we saw what Colin Sexton could do as a go-to scorer at Alabama when he started to ball out more and more as the season went on. And what he did in the NCAA tournament where he led them to that huge comeback against Auburn where they absolutely buried them. I mean, this kid can get buckets and he can play defense. I said he was closer to a Mike Conley because I thought he was more of a defensive point guard. I've changed my mind. I actually now think that he is more of a uh, Chris Paul type point guard. He can get buckets and he's going to lock your best player up, preferably your point guard. So... I like Colin Sexton right here to go at eight for the Cavs, who I personally think is a steal right there at eight. I think the Cavs are getting potentially like a, a big time all star right here with Sexton. I mean, I think that some is the only problem is for him just not to go earlier as most of these other teams already have point guards. I wouldn't be mad at all if the Hawks took Sexton or if they took Trey Young that high up, but I just don't really see the Hawks doing that. It's just too much of a risk. I feel like they'd trade back to do something like that. But I mean, like I said, I wouldn't be mad at anything but Jaron Jackson and oh, But God, I'll be so mad if they take either of them tomorrow on Thursday number nine the Knicks Michael Porter Jr. is where I have going there I just think the Knicks are going to try to do something to get some wing scores the Knicks need a lot right now really all they have is Porzingis to me so I mean Ennis Cantor is okay so I mean I just look for them to take the best player on the board here so I think they're going to take Porter Jr. Um, I like Bridges a lot too I'm going at 10 to Philly I just feel like he's more of a 3 and D guy he's really athletic though and I could see being a lot like a Kawhi Leonard but I just feel like the way the Knicks are right now they'd rather risk on Porter who could be a real offensive superstar and I mean he could he was the number one you were one of the top players coming out I think he was number one in his class so 
He has tons of potential, tons of hype around him. They think he's a little injury prone. That's the only reason why he's dropping. If he had been healthy and played all season, who knows? We could be talking about Michael Porter Jr. going number one overall. So he's really like the wild card in this draft. I think the Knicks could have a chance to steal a real good player right here. Obviously, at 10, I just said Bridges. I think he fits in well there in Philly. Gives him another long athletic wing. I mean, Philly could have some freakish wing defense. I know I said they could do it with LeBron, but the length of Bridges to go along with uh, Covington and Simmons, I mean, that's just going to be a crazy crazy team right there. I mean, Philly, watch out for them. I really like Bridges a lot. I hope he's there on the board for Philly. I think that completely completes their roster if they could get him. At number 11, I have Shea Gildas Alexander from Kentucky, point guard. I think he's still really raw and he has a lot of developing left to do. He's got a big body, long arms. I mean, a lot of teams like him just for his size and stuff and what he could do. He got better as the season went on when he played at Kentucky. I think the Hornets are going to end up trading Kimba Walker one way or another. So I look for them to go ahead and get their prospect point guard here and see if he can transform into something. Kid's got a lot of potential and could end up being one of those tough uh, two-way players in the league. Number 12, I have the Clippers taking center Robert Williams from Texas A&M. I think that he can learn a lot from DeAndre Jordan, and I think he's one of the better prospects in this draft. He was projected to go high in last year's draft, but chose to return to Texas A&M, and I just think that he's NBA-ready. I think he'll be a real good center. I also think he's one of those newer centers where you're not necessarily going to have to pay him a max contract, but he can rebound and do lots of other good stuff for you, like block shots and defend your rim, so I look for them to kind of bring in that younger center to learn from uh, DeAndre and take over once he's out of the L.A., because I think his time there is almost up. Number 13, I had Kevin Knox, another guy who's a long athletic wing defender. It's going to be interesting to see if he can get that knockdown three-point shot in the league and become a big 3 and D guy. I think there's a lot of players like this nowadays who are these longer wings that people look at a lot. I think Knox has a lot of potential. We'll see if he can tap into it. So I like him to go there at 13. Another guy at 14, Lonnie Walker. He's a guy who we could see bounce up and down him. In this NBA draft, I mean, he's a guy who could really go a lot higher. I personally think he's going to bust more. I think he's athletic. He's got a lot of potential, though, but I just don't really buy into his hype at Miami. A lot of times I watched him play, he didn't really do the things I thought he would. I mean, he's definitely one of those guys who a lot of teams are high on, and I've seen a lot of teams also say he could bust. So look for him to kind of be the X factor to mess things up in this draft, but I definitely see him going in the lottery no matter what. I think one of these teams is going to risk something on him, whether it's the Clippers, Hornets, or even the Nuggets. Who knows how Philly's feeling, but I really feel if Nikel Bridges is there, he's a lock to go to Philly, but this is kind of what I think should happen the first round. Will it happen? I mean, I really think that one and two, no matter what, will be Aiton and Donkic. I don't know what order they'll go in, but I think that's one and two. But after that, it's kind of a crapshoot. I really don't know what the Hawks are going to do. I just hope to God that we don't pick one of these question mark big men. If that happens, so be it. I'm going to try to remain positive and hope that one of these big men end up being uh, the real deal. I would rather have Bamba, though, than Jaron Jackson Jr., just because Bamba's got that freakish size. He has the longest wingspan ever measured. I mean, he averaged 3.8 blocks in college basketball, so we all know what he can do blocking shots and stuff, but it's definitely up in the air for sure. I just I would rather have Bamba there, but I would just rather have Bagley. I feel like he's more the sure thing, but hey, Atlanta, you know they're going to do their thing at the end of the day, so we'll see what happens, guys. I'm really excited for the NBA draft. It's one of my favorite events. I love seeing all the young talent that comes to the league. I mean, there's lots of other picks. I just can't really, I'm just not really going to try to predict outside of the lottery. It's too hard. I think there will be trades in here, though. I really look for the Hornets to trade um, Kimba Walker and try to get more young assets, whether it's in Cleveland, whether it's New York, whether even Chicago, whether 
whether it's the Clippers. I really see the Clippers than most of anybody with those first-round picks. I don't think the Clippers will select a player with both those picks. That's one of my predictions for the draft. On draft day on the podcast, I'll have specific um, predictions for y'all as to what I think will happen as kind of like some sleeper predictions. I'll have like five guaranteed predictions I have for y'all. And that one of them, I'm going to go ahead and leak it out right now is that I think that the Clippers will not select a player with both those picks or if they do, that player will be traded later on in the night to another team. So get hype guys. It's time for the NBA draft. Hawks got a bright future. But now let's talk about the two point guards I like the most in this draft. And that's Colin Sexton and Trey Young. All right guys. So let's start the segment out here and talk about Trey Young. So, Y'all want to hear something funny right here? So Trey Young only had 19 uncontested three-point attempts as a freshman. 19, and he made 14 of them. I mean, I'm not wrong here. That's well over 50%. That's uh, almost uh, 70% right there. So, I mean, that's pretty good if you ask me. Next, he had a 48.6 uh, assist percentage and a 37.1 usage percentage, and he had a 500-plus minute workload. You know who the only uh, other college basketball player to do that is? Trey Young. Now, let's expand it to this. He had a 40% assist rate, a 30% usage rate. Here's a list of the only players to ever do that. Trey Young, Kay Felder, Juwan Evans, um, Malik Yarborough, Tim Frazier, Sidney Sanders, and Malcolm Griffin. Here's a list of the players who um, made 75 or more threes and did that as well. Trey Young and Kay Felder. Interesting enough right there. Now, here's a uh, filtered list of the only players that had a a true shooting percentage over – 57.5%. Trey Young. He's the only shooter like that. Trey Young is a once in a lifetime player and you know it'd just be absolutely crazy to see him see him fall down the board and see people still doubting him. I just don't get it and if y'all still doubt him after that let's uh, look into it a little bit more. You know he's been doubted his whole career his whole life so why not just keep doubting him right? Well I think the sky's the limit to this kid. Um, I obviously think his body like I've told y'all have a few years to develop. I even was talking about it earlier. Probably be like four years or so before he's ready to dominate this league but trust me, he will be ready to dominate this league. It's just like Steph Curry. Y'all have no reason to doubt him, except he's 19 and Curry was 21 when he broke into the league. He will thrive in a ball-dominant system. I mean, he averaged 27 points per game, 8.8 assists. He's the first player to ever do that in the NCAA. Not to mention his team only won 11 games the year before, so he absolutely helped them so much. This team had nothing besides him to protect him around him. He had 28 points and 7 assists in his last game, shot over 50% in the game they nearly won where they were completely overmatched. I mean, y'all might not agree with this, but college basketball is all about coaching. And the way you look at it, Young's team was obviously outmatched in that category. As the season went on, he faded towards the end of the season because they were playing the teams in the Big 12 for the second time around where they had more film on him and they knew more about him. I mean, they ran a box and one against him. When have you ever seen that in the Alabama game and they beat them? I mean, like all these teams had film on him. They had a scouting port on him. They knew what they had to do and they knew if they stopped Trey Young, they could beat Oklahoma. All these teams went all out to stop Trey Young. He had somebody on him at all times, just running him through anything and everything. Um, um, they were absolutely outcoached in those games, and these smarter coaches had a scouting port on him, and that's why they were able to beat up on him so easily. But out of, out of this season, he only had seven games where he had under 20 points, and Oklahoma lost five of those games, and one of those games they won was against Omaha. So does that even really count? And he only had two other players on his team average double figures at 11 and 10 points. So 
It's not like he had anything else around. Trey Young did the best of everything he had. I think it's just foolish to think that he'll be bad in the NBA. I mean, how could you not think about him with all this evidence going for him? I mean, what's your reasoning? Oh, he's too small. Oh, he's this and that. That's what everyone said about Steph Curry. I'm telling y'all, he is the next Steph Curry. Y'all think it's foolish to say that, but promise y'all, he's the next Steph Curry, hands down. But let's move on from there now and go talk about Colin Sexton. This kid's an absolute beast. He's a Georgia boy. Gotta love it. He averaged 19.2 points per game, 3.8 rebounds, 3.6 assists. Obviously, you'd like that assist percentage to be up there a little bit more. He attempted four three-pointers, shot 36% from three. He shot 44 from the field. I mean, this kid can get it all done. He's a great free-throw shooter, but the biggest thing to me about him is we all saw what he could do on defense as well throughout the season, but really where this kid turned his game up and took his game to the next level was when his team needed him the most, and where his team needed him the most was in the NCAA tournament and in the SEC tournament. In the SEC tournament, he scored 27, 31, and 21. Against Kentucky, though, they had a lot better game plan for him and locked him up a lot more. And plus, their uh, second best player was out for that game. So this was a game that Alabama did not really expect to win. But Sexton absolutely went off against Auburn. He hit 6 of 8 from 3. He was 10 for 16 from the field. He did everything for him with those 31 points not to mention six assists and seven rebounds to go along with it. I mean, Colin Sexton can do everything, guys. And the NCAA tournament against Virginia Tech, he turned around at 25 points. They were way outmatched against Villanova. Still had 14 points against them, you know. He doesn't take any days off. He doesn't let people shut him down like that. He still got buckets on Villanova. They had nobody to match up on him, and he let them know it. So, I mean, I personally love love Colin Sexton here at the next level. I think he's bigger. I think he's going to be like he's 6'3", he's a point guard, but he weighs 190 pounds. He's real big and physical. I just think that, to me, he's not like Mike Conley. He's more like Chris Paul. I think his passing obviously needs to get a little bit better, but, I mean, this kid's already can score the basketball, and we've seen him do it many times. So I think, in all seriousness, that he's just going to keep on scoring the ball, and he's going to keep on getting his passing game better and keep getting better and better. I think he fits in great on Cleveland with his defense, and I think he's going to be one of the better all-around point guards we see in this league. I would love to see the Hawks somehow trade back in the draft and get him. It'd be interesting to see if he could fall to a team like the Knicks, Clippers, something like that, even the Hornets. But I think that Colin Sexton, even though a lot of people have him going down the draft board a lot, is a surefire all-star and superstar in this draft. I'm very high on him and Trey Young. I think that they fall on the five players. I think that it'll be all-stars for sure. Obviously, there's always outliers later on in the draft and stuff, but I think these guys are the can't-miss stars of this draft, so look for them to go up high. Alright, guys, so let's switch the uh, shift here to a little bit of Falcons. First off, I just saw the news today that uh, Sarkeesian could be on the hot seat, which I don't have a problem with. I definitely think Sarkeesian needs to get the job done here as offensive coordinator, which I think he will. I mean, I, I don't know if y'all have seen all the offensive coordinator shuffle Matt Ryan's had. I've talked about it many times, so I'm not really trying to go to great detail on it for y'all today, but I think they'll be a lot better. It's just like the second year with Shanahan. We honestly looked worse our first year with Shanahan, so I really am confident in Sark. I think Sark's going to do good things for us. I think he's going to be on the hot seat, and I think he's going to deliver. I mean, also, that's Sark's real first year coaching in the NFL. He's been in college with Alabama and at other schools in, the, in college. We obviously know about his alcohol addiction. He might have been a little hammered, you know, when he's calling plays for the Falcons, but we're not too sure about all that. But let's uh, keep it on the topic of the Falcons offense and how they're going to do next season. And a big piece Sark's going to need to return if he expects to take this team to be better next year is Julio Jones. And I don't know if you all have seen the stories, but the Falcons are worried about T.O. having a negative effect on Julio Jones and that he's bringing him down a little bit. And I'm here to tell you all it's nothing to worry about. And T.O. working with Julio is not a bad thing at all. In fact, it's a good thing, guys. T.O.'s got lots of veteran things he can teach Julio and how to prolong his career and keep playing longer in the league as T.O. did stick around for a while. Obviously, T.O. 
Tio did some dumb stuff and was kind of a cancer a little bit on teams, but Julio's not like that. He doesn't really speak out and stuff. Personally, I think the Falcons should go ahead and pay Julio. He's 21 right or 29 right now, so by the time he's done, if we extend his deal out and give him the five-year deal, he'll be about 32 when he gets out of the deal, 33, which is pretty much when he's when he's ready to move on and kind of be done in the league. Also. On top of all of that, um, most of the time contracts are loaded up with all the signing bonus money up front early. So then if he's unproductive and playing old and bad towards the end of his career, you can always cut him loose and get off the hook for some of that money and get out of the contract quicker. But I can't blame Julio for being mad. You got guys like Sammy Watkins, Mike Evans, um, tons of other receivers that you know you're better than that are making almost the same money as you, if not more money than you. And if I'm the Falcons, go ahead and make him the highest paid player. You already invested all this money into Matt Ryan. We invested all this money into Alex Mack. We invested all this money into Devontae Freeman. It's time to invest all this money into our most consistent piece that we have, which is Julio Jones in his career. He has 585 catches for nine thousand, for a little over 9,000 yards, 43 total touchdowns in seven seasons. Also, not to mention that he was hurt for most of one of those seasons. So, Jones has definitely done a lot. Um, he, in 2017, is coming off a rating of 19.41, which is one of his best among wide receivers. I mean, Julio's an absolute beast, guys. That's top three in the league right there. That's number three, actually. And... A huge stat that might also convince y'all that we should play Julio. So for the most yards per route run among receivers with 100 targets in a season from 2006 to 2017, Steve Smith has 3.83 yards per route run. Julio, and that was in 2008 with the Panthers. Julio in 2016 has 3.12 and then 3.08. And 2016, 2017 was 3.08. Victor Cruz had 3.08 in 2011. And then in 2015, he had 3.04. I mean, Julio Jones is a freak, guys. That basically means since 2006, Julio's done that three times out of the out in the top five. So I mean, he's pretty much been the best receiver over that stretch in the league. That's absolutely dominant. This guy dominates everybody. And to think that ESPN even said the Falcons won't make the playoffs next year is absolutely stupid. How could we not make the playoffs if our defense keeps getting better? We keep around the same offense. Our offense keeps getting better and gelling together. We're in the second year with our offensive coordinator. I mean, everything to me just points to the Falcons being an even better team next year, which I think they will be. I don't think we should worry about anything, guys. I think the Falcons will be smart here. They'll get Julio back out here on the field. They need to not make him mad in any way, shape, or form. I think it was foolish for him to even come out and say that stuff yesterday this guy's done nothing but perform he's always been all about the team in brotherhood and everything no matter what when he's big game and stuff he's all about the in brotherhood he posted all over social media and everything julio's bought into it it's time for the falcons to buy into julio and pay this man and give him what he deserves he's done nothing but ball out i don't see any problems with paying him at all it's stupid that we're even sitting here having this conversation about it all right guys i promise y'all tons of world cup segments so i'm back here again for the world cup whip around i was going to call it the world cup minute but whip around goes a little better you know I'm, I'm a real big fan of it so let's look at Brazil here let's talk about them so obviously they have the ties kind of upsetting in a game that I talked about yesterday that I really felt like the Brazil kind of got robbed and they didn't officiate it very well but Neymar actually limped out of practice today and so I personally think that they're better off without Neymar and that was just watching the game I felt like they passed the ball to him a lot and he tried to dribble around and do stuff obviously he made some amazing plays and Neymar is an amazing player don't get me wrong I think he's the third best player in the world behind Ronaldo and Messi, but I just feel guys like that 
this team can do a little bit more with what they got. And I really think that they can play more of a team ball and having Neymar on the bench and play with all these good strikers. I mean, you got Douglas Costa. He plays for Juventus. That's one of the best clubs in Europe. Roberto Firmino. He plays for Liverpool, one of the best clubs in the world. Uh, you got Gabriel Jesus. He plays for Manchester City, one of the best uh, clubs in the world. And then you got Taysen, who plays for Sharakta. Uh, but, I mean, he's still a beast, guys. I mean, you got these four guys you can play at your forward. And I really think they're better off rotating these guys in rather than having Neymar in there. I think it'll get the teamwork going more because, I mean, Brazil looks a little sloppy and a little out of sync, and I think it'll help them sync things up better. Obviously, they need Neymar out there, and they'll need him when they get to the knockout stages. But, I mean, all these guys are excellent goal scorers and some of the top players over in Europe. So there's really no reason for Brazil to drop off. I personally think that they're going to play better this next match and come out and win. I mean, we watched them play bad. Also, there's the rumors of Germany being out of form and stuff. So I think Germany's going to step up and play better too because, I mean, by now they should definitely be in form. It's been too long now that they've been together as a team and everything. So I really look for Brazil and Germany both to play better. And I look for Brazil to play better without Neymar if he's unable to go in next match. And I think they should consider bringing him off the bench in later minutes if they need a goal or some action, kind of like England did with Rashford. So definitely some food for thought there, guys. But this concludes today's podcast. I'm going to try to get a guest on tomorrow. I want to have a little Donkic Bagley uh, argument tomorrow. So let's get after it, guys, and uh, see what happens. I got him on his hands and the rocks. The home and the man with the diamonds. Every week I change my clouds. Got a fitness store in my house. Got a building garage in my house. Got to wash up my wrist cause a house. My bitch can't sleep in my house. Make a sleep at the hotel now. And when you talk me, you're talking on cap. And your diamonds ain't looking like tap. I was always looking for the pouch. Keep an army bitch in my lap.